Today's podcast is sponsored by Fire Facilities Incorporated, expert engineers, designers, and manufacturers of steel training towers, burn rooms, and mobile units that are all made in the USA. Welcome back to Three Point Firefighter. Today, we have a guest, a friend of mine, Nick Morgan. Now, Nick is a captain with the St. Louis... Shit, fuck that up. I'm going to have to cut that right off the bat. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to Three Point Firefighter. Today, my guest is a friend of mine, Captain Nick Morgan. Now, Nick is a 38-year firefighter, and he's currently with St. Louis in Missouri. He started as a volunteer in Worthington. It's a suburb of Kentucky. And he did that back in 84 when I was a sophomore in high school. I'm just throwing that in there. Uh, He joined the United States Air Force. Hoorah. Uh, where he was an Air, For- uh, Air Force firefighter in 86. After that, he came back home, rejoined Worthington until about 91, and then he worked for the Kentucky State Reformatory uh, the, as a corrections officer. Uh, I assume you beat up a lot of people at, there. And then uh, you were hired by <laughs> St. Louis back in 1991. You worked on quints, uh, ladders, heavy rescue, engines, worked at the airport. Uh, you've been a captain for 12 years. Wow, that's a long time. And you've been part of the fire investigating unit and your current is your current assignment, uh, Quint 30. Is that right? Or 31? It's, uh, no engine 31. 31. Okay. Brother Nick, great to have you on the show. Thanks, Jake. Uh, appreciate you uh, inviting me on your show. It's a, it's an honor to be asked to be on this show. I I know you've had, uh, some, some big heavy hitters sitting in this seat. So, uh, uh, I've got big shoes to fill, <laughs> but uh, it's definitely an honor, and uh, especially uh, sp- especially somebody who uh, who's from back home. You know that that's that's an extra plus. That's exactly right. Matter of fact, how far is Worthington from Anchorage, uh, Middletown? Well, Worthington is now part of the whole Anchorage Middletown merger. So Worthington as a separate fire district no longer exists. It was absorbed. Uh, I believe it was Anchorage, Middletown, Worthington, Harrods Creek, and Eastwood all got uh, absorbed up into one big fire district. But Worthington was out along uh, Highway 42 and Highway 22 around where Interstate 71 and 265, Waterston Expressway, all that area. Well, I was thinking about you today, not just because of the podcast. Uh, I was asked to go out to Anchorage Middletown Fire Rescue and be an evaluator for their sergeant's exams, which uh, the skills portion, not the written test. So that's where I've been out in 105 degree heat all day long, not cursing your name, but thinking about you. (laughs) (laughs) Which which station did they send you to? It's their training grounds. uh, And I want to say they had something on the wall in the classroom that said seven. But with all the, uh, it's it's out on Old English Station Road is where I was at. It's a pretty nice little training area and some quality firefighters. It was really a, it was a great experience. It was just hotter to shit. Uh, just uh, right. I, was, I almost wore a wool jumpsuit with an aluminum foil inside, and I'm glad I didn't. That'd have been foolish. That would have been the dumbest <laughs> thing I could have done. Well, the location you're giving me sounds like it's probably one of the old Middletown stations. Uh, I still know a, f- a few guys out at uh, Anchorage Middletown, uh, guys that I've known for a long time. But, uh, but yeah, the Worthington stations were uh, 
uh, over in the the old Norton's Commons uh, was their newest station when all that was built off of uh, off of uh, Old Chamber or yeah, six, Howie sixteen ninety four Old Brownsboro Road, and then of course I was at the station on Murphy Lane uh, for my years of Worthington, and then we had the station out off of Brownsboro Road and Goose Creek. Oh wow! So. That was the three stations that made up Worthington's fire district. Of course, the Norton's Common Station didn't come around till many years after I was gone and working in St. Louis. I can't wait to hear the story about how you ended up in St. Louis. Now, we, we've uh, we've talked a lot online. We've met at different uh, events, uh, trainings, and uh, FDIC. Uh, I feel like you're such a good friend. I could borrow money from you and not even pay you back. That's how how much <laughs> I care about you. Um, but let's do this. Why don't you tell me what started you in the fire service? I mean, I know where you started at, but what, what made you say, you know what? Nick Morgan's going to be a firefighter and not an astronaut. No, that's a, that's a great question. And, uh, it's, I think it had a lot to do. You know, my dad was a police officer. He was an old Louisville police officer. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. uh, That's on me. I'm so sorry. No. (laughs) (laughs) So actually, I'm, I'm quite proud of proud of that fact. But anyway, he was a police officer. But for some reason, I was I was always impressed with fire trucks as a little kid. You know, we grew up. I think when you know when I was born, we lived on the south end of the, the very south end of the city, down right to where the city and Oklahoma come together uh, in a neighborhood called Linview. And then Dad mo- in 1970, Dad moved us out. I think to the farthest corner of northeastern Jefferson County he could get. And uh, which at that time, it was still pretty rural, but that was Worthington's area, uh, you know, about a mile before the county line. And uh, but I remember there was a volunteer fire station. It was Worthington. That was a quarter mile from our house. And we would drive by it on occasion. And I always wanted to see the fire trucks that were hidden behind those doors. Mm -hmm. It was just something fascinating about it. Um, But long story short, uh, uh, I started uh, just visit, you know. We became friends with uh, people we went to, you know, uh, a guy I went to grade school with. His mom and my mom became good friends. They lived in the subdivision that that butted all the way up to that firehouse. So that became an opportunity to walk over to that firehouse and, and get to know the guys that were there. And uh, unfortunately, my dad died uh, in 1979 when I was 11 years old. So that and. Amazingly, I would still go to that firehouse, uh, and what I learned later was a lot of the guys, even though it was a volunteer fire department, there were guys from Louisville Fire that worked there on their days off and helped boost the daytime manpower. And a handful of those guys knew who my dad was. They, you know, they knew he'd been a city cop, and they basically took me under their wing. You know, they, they really took care of me. They could have ran me off, said, yeah, that, you know, get the, that kid's a pain in the butt, get him <laughs> out of here. But they didn't do that. They, they let me hang around the firehouse and they started teaching me things. And and uh, I think that's probably what kind of laid the, you know, what made it inevitable that I would get into fire service. And, of course, back then you could become a volunteer at 16. So I literally just counted down the days to my 16th birthday. And uh, I started recruit class on March 14th of 1984, which was two days before my 16th birthday. And so for me, that was like the first the first stage of a dream come true, uh, joining the volunteer fire department out at Worthington. And uh, 
at that time, I still wasn't sure whether or not I wanted to do it as a career. I, I, I still had some interest in law enforcement. And believe it or not, I had a real fascination with meteorology and weather forecasting and uh, thought that would be possibly an interesting career path, too. So I wasn't really sure, but I knew from the very start of being a volunteer firefighter, and I was absolutely in love with it. The fire service was going to play some role in my life from there on out. What about your first fire? So tell me about the first time you made entry. I'm not talking about food on the stove. I'm not talking about a car fire, mulch fire. I'm talking about you had to change a couple bottles, you know, and had to go back in. Tell me about the first one. And what did that do to you? The very first actual working fire that I went on was a garden apartment building, uh, you know, not very far from the Murphy Lane station where I was assigned. And I remember I was just thrilled to actually, I was in the jump seat and I knew I had the, the nozzle position. And so I, of course I was very anxious too. And we pulled up and there was a, there was a fair amount of smoke visible, but no visible fire. And we stretched the inch and three quarter line out, stretched it into one of the apartments. Uh, I believe it was up on the second floor. And there was a kind of a medium smoke condition in the apartment, but no visible fire. And of course that was a new experience and we're, looking around all the apartments, you know, looking around through the apartment, trying to figure out where this fire is. And I remember we stretched into the kitchen of the apartment and we saw flames behind the refrigerator, slid the refrigerator out. It's like, oh, there it is. And uh, there was fire coming out from from the wall socket behind this refrigerator. And so I quickly hit it, extinguished it. Then we started punching a hole in the wall and realized there was fire burning back in this wall. Long story short, ended up we had fire burning in this party wall, which is a double studded wall that was among all four apartments up on that second floor. Mm-hmm. So it turned into a pretty significant fire of ripping out drywall all through this whole second floor apartment. And uh, we were able to stop it, but uh, that was my first chase it down and get it fire. It was definitely a different experience. So did that seal the deal for you? Or are you like, okay, this is definitely all I'm going to do for the rest of my life? Well, I definitely knew I wanted to remain a firefighter. I was, I was exhausted and yet thrilled at the same time. But you, you weren't know, set on, uh, that, you know, career firefighter yet, right? Is that why you joined uh, the Air Force? Yes. And I assume the Marines didn't take um, you because you had a high school diploma. <laughs> if you're a Marine and you're listening to this, have some guy from the Air Force explain that joke. It's hilarious. I promise you. So you decided to uh, join. Okay. So you said something about meteorology, and we might have one more thing in common, but let's see first. So you fought the fire. You know you want to be a firefighter the rest of your life. You don't know if you're going to do it as a career. You go to Uncle Sam. He says, okay, I'm going to make you an Air Force something. What were your What were your, the things you wanted to be in the Air Force? My top three job picks in the Air Force were firefighter, law enforcement, and weather forecaster. Uh, those were the, the things that I thought I would enjoy the most. So, like I, I was alluding to earlier, mine was a forecaster as well. And I, so I had four choices, and they would give me one of those four guaranteed if I joined. So the last thing was firefighter. I didn't want to be a firefighter, but backdraft was out. The, guy, the, the recruiters want to go to lunch. They're hurrying me through. But I wanted to be a weather forecaster, a meteorologist, because you had top secret clearance and you got to brief the pilots and do all the cool shit like that. And, of course, I, they didn't make me that. They were probably smart 
not to make me that, but one more thing we have in common. Yeah. Well, and the funny thing about the Air Force is the only reason I even considered the Air Force, you know, I come from a very military family. And of course, everybody said, stay out of the Army. I had two brothers that retired from the Navy, loved it. My mom did a stint in the Air Force and she loved it, even though she had to get out early. But when I was thinking about career options, there was an article in probably Firehouse Magazine that talked about what a great fire training program the Air Force had and that every Air Force base had its own fire department. And, and it, again, it grabbed my attention. I was like, hmm, I, I never thought of that. That could be interesting. Yeah. So, uh, but when I went into the Air Force, what I was told was I couldn't have a guaranteed job, but I could pick my top three. And the recruiter told me he would do whatever he could to help guarantee I would get, you know, my number one pick. And so I had literally firefighter, law enforcement, weather forecaster. And, uh, you know, by, by God's divine providence, I got firefighter. There you go. So did you, you had to go through uh, tech school in Illinois? Was it still open? Okay. Yes. I, yep. I was one of the yep. last With classes. the Chanute Air yeah. Force Base. Yeah. Yep. And, and, of course, that's also where they trained the weather forecasters at that oh, time. I didn't know so. that. I didn't know that. What yep. year did you go through that? Yeah, they had a. Was it 91? No. No, I went through in uh, the end of 86 and the beginning okay. of 87. So we actually, uh, we finished out the end of 86 at the old, old fire mm -hmm. school. And when we came back after Christmas break, we were in the new fire school at Chanute that had just been completed. So I was, uh, I got to, was part of the first groups that got to enjoy the new fire school that we had at Chanute. And because, uh, of course, we were there during the wintertime and we got to march back and forth to school when it was the old right. school. And then they actually Buses. had a bus taking us to the new fire schools a little farther away, which was nice with wind chills about 20 to 30 below zero. I will say that was my first exposure to flat Illinois, you know, with uh, bitter wind chills because there's absolutely nothing to stop that wind. Yes. And you know what? You were one of the first ones to go through that school. I was the last one to go through, one of the last ones to go through that school. They were shutting the base down. There was hardly anything open. And uh, yeah, everybody hated the firefighters because we got bust to and fro. And did I just say to and fro? I said to and fro. I mean, you know what? To yes. and fro. I was bust <laughs> to and fro. And uh, they called us Pop Tarts because our, our school was only like eight weeks, I think. Because we were in and out like that. So, yeah. Right. But, uh, yeah, Schnute did not make a great um, impression on me. Again, they were closing it down. I got in trouble. Um, I got in trouble there. So it was a Sunday, and I decided to trim my hair up. And uh, I trimmed all the way up and totally fucked my hair up. It was bald, basically. Uh, so I had my roommate go because I couldn't go to a barbershop. It was Sunday. So he went to the PX and, and bought me some fancy razors or, or trimmers where I continued to fuck it up even more. So at the end, I had it looked just like one of the haircuts uh, you would see in um, what was it? They kept they kept calling me something from. Um, oh, shoot. Uh, Phil, uh, it was a it's an Indian movie with um, Kevin Costner. Anyway, um, I looked like one of the bad guys because my hair was the way it stuck up. So I finally had just to eat it. I was like, well, I got to go to school like this. I went to school, didn't get in trouble there. They said, listen, because I stuck out when you stood in line, you could see I'm six one. Plus, I had this horrible haircut. They said, listen, you're going to go at lunch. You're going to get a, a day one shave. So I had to, with these big ears. I had to get a day one shave again. But while I'm in there waiting for it, 
there's this guy getting his haircut and he's got the cloth over him and he just keeps staring me down and he keeps looking at me and looking at me and I'm getting real nervous. When he's done with his haircut, they take the, the sheet off of him and he's Lieutenant Colonel and he was not happy with my, my own haircut. So I got, he ended up <laughs> getting a hold of who he had to get a hold of to make sure that I was in trouble and I was in trouble and uh, yeah, never did that again. <laughs> That's what I remember of Chanute, right? <laughs> Getting bust around yeah. and giving myself a horrible haircut. Gosh, damn. <laughs> no, I, I tell you, I had great memories at Chanute. I mean, that was, I, to this day, I believe it's the coldest winter I've ever been through, especially because of those, uh, the wind chills. But, uh, you know, our fire school class, we had a lot of fun. And, and there was two guys that I hung out with regularly. We were kind of like three musketeers. And uh, one of them is still a close friend to this day. You know, uh, we've just had a, a great friendship ever since then, even though we were sent to pretty much opposite parts of the country once we got out of fire school. But uh, we had a great time. I loved it. I really so enjoyed it. So where were you assigned while you were in the Air Force? I went to lovely Acre Air Force Base in Blyville, Arkansas, which, of course, no longer, well, it's still there, but it was closed down. It was one of the bases that Bill Clinton closed back in the uh, early 90s. You're a base killer, man. You, but, everywhere you uh, go, it, the base shuts <laughs> up. Yep, 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 yep. Is that where you did your whole time, or did you go anywhere else? No, that that was where I did my whole time. Uh, I, I, was, I was kind of afraid of putting in for different orders because we had so many guys that would come back from Shemya, Alaska. Yeah. And of course that was after the, I think, believe it was the Graham Rudman act. So even my recruiter had told me that they didn't like to move guys around as much as they had in the past. And that if you went stateside, you're probably going to stay stateside for the first four years. And so there was a lot of, you know, there were some other bases I'd like to go to, but, but a lot of people kind of warned me. They're like, eh, be careful. You ask for, as for a move, you might find yourself up at Shemi, Alaska, <laughs> and uh, nobody could really describe what that place was like. They said it was something that could only be experienced. So uh, I just, you know, it wasn't a bad area. You know, it wasn't the worst base you could be at. It certainly wasn't the best, but, you know, it was, uh, I guess, what, about five hours from home. And uh, I just decided to make the best of it and just do my four years and, uh and go from there. So now you get out of the Air Force because there's no more bases for you to close, I guess. And <laughs> when do you decide, okay, because you still became, you went back to Worthington, volunteering, I take it. And then you went mm -hmm. to be a corrections officer. So obviously that police right. officer thing was still kind of in your head a little bit. Um, what made you say, you know what, I'm going to go to St. Louis and be a firefighter. <laughs> Well, all that actually started before I got out of the Air Force. Uh, and and the, uh, the truth be told, my original goal, more than any place, was to be a firefighter in Louisville. You know, like I said, when I grew up as a volunteer, those guys from Louisville that, that worked out there at Worthington had pretty much raised me and shaped me and, and uh, in a lot of ways influenced, you know, my thinking of what it meant to be a firefighter. And... Uh, and while I was in the Air Force, I discovered that uh, fire departments had ride-along programs. Louisville had one. Memphis had one. Uh, St. Louis has had one. And so I actually had done a number of ride-alongs with Louisville and with Memphis while I was in the Air Force and even a couple up in St. Louis. Which, uh, by the way, I got to interrupt you. I Louis. love the fact that you say sure. Louisville correctly. I love it. 
Oh, well, my dad taught me that when I was a little yeah. boy. He he made sure I understood because my mom was a Midwesterner. She she was from Cincinnati and Cleveland and Detroit and Southern Indiana, so she never she said, said Louisville. So my dad made sure. Yes. So my dad made sure that I knew how to say Louisville from a uh, very, very young Me and my age. wife still fight about it. And uh, she actually lived over in Louisville, and, I, and she'll say Louisville. I'm like, no, no, come on. You're from here. Don't stop it. Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No, that's okay. That's okay. So you were looking at being um, a, a firefighter but, uh, in Louisville. Right. Louisville was actually my first – I had about two years in the Air Force, you know, which as a full-time firefighter was – that's when I really made up my mind – that that's what I wanted to do the rest of my career. And and I was volunteer. There was a small uh, town outside the base. I had a volunteer fire department and I had joined that. And I, I, you know, ran calls with them on my off days, but that's, that's really, I, I had decided that's what I wanted to do as a career. And then I found out about these ride along programs and, and I knew some guys in Louisville, you know, who worked out at Worthington and they had invited me to come ride out at their stations. Uh, the one I, you know, I, used to ride aloud at truck four and truck seven and uh which was with and then uh and then i would go down to memphis and uh, was a regular ride along down at their station seven for several years and uh th that's where i was not only did i decide i wanted to be a career firefighter but i knew i wanted to be in a larger city you know i just i wanted to to be where the action mm -hmm. was uh, i was intrigued by st louis fire department because under Chief Neil Svetanics in 1987, they came out with the Total Quint concept. Right. And of course, that was all over the cover and all over the Firehouse magazine and, and you know, it was national news. And I had, had gone up to St. Louis. You know, we used to go up there with friends just to go up to Six Flags. And we had stopped by one of their firehouses one day and I had a chance to see one of the Quints and talk to some of the guys then I had a couple opportunities to go up and ride along. Me and another Air Force buddy went up and uh, spent a shift riding on Rescue Squad 2 and, and were just treated great, had a great time. Uh, but I was I was really intrigued with the Quint concept. But other than that, I was like, yeah, St. Louis, I don't know anybody there. There's nothing about it that's familiar. I, in, in my mind, it was the least likely place I would end up. <laughs> but it just so happened that that, Louis, that Lexington, Louisville, Memphis, and St. Louis were all testing within months of each right. other. And of course, you know, they were, uh, St. Louis was, you know, I mean, obviously was only three hours from the base. The base was an hour north of Memphis, right off of Highway 55. And uh, so I started running around taking tests everywhere. Uh, I took the written test in Lexington, but I couldn't get off to come back and take the agility test, or we might've been working right. together. See. Um, I took the Louisville test, uh, took the Memphis test, took the St. Louis test, was successful in passing all the tests. Uh, I actually had a higher score in St. Louis than I did in Louisville, which kind of shocked me. But, you know, it's just the way things work out. Um, and then, oddly enough, um, when I, I – well, I – it got a little dicey there at the end because, as you know, we started uh, the buildup for Operation Desert Shield and Desert right. Storm, you know, late into 1990, because my original date of separation was October of 90. I was literally the last week in out processing, and I get a call from my first sergeant saying, don't send nothing home, you're not going anywhere. Oh and which was not good news to me, <laughs> because I was looking forward to getting out and, and uh, 
you know, I had, uh, you know, I was sitting on all these eligibility lists and, and uh, so, you know, I was ready to, you know, I, I'd had a good run in the Air Force, but I was ready to pursue my next career. And that was pretty disheartening. And then I kind of sat on the bubble for the next few months, wondering whether I was going to get shipped out with the rest of the guys to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. The only reason I hadn't been on the first deployment was because I was so close to my original discharge date that I'd been taken off the primary deployment mm. team. Well, once those, once all those dates were frozen, you know, uh, President Bush put us into the stop loss program, all bets were off. You know, now I was uh, subject to possible deployment. And uh, that was a struggle because uh, I was like, no, I really did not want at that point, I did not want the Air Force to ruin my firefighter dreams. <laughs> so and and it, yet, you know, you can't exactly tell Uncle Sam what to do when there's a war brewing on the other side of the planet. So that was a that was a difficult time. That was a struggle. And uh, uh, but long story short, um, I had a youngest brother and, who uh, died. Uh, in December of 1990, uh, after battle and drugs and alcohol, I had another younger brother who was on his second enlistment in the Navy was already being was and his job description was putting him into the combat zone. So the military had a thing to where since my mom only had two sons left, my term was over. My other brother had just reenlisted. They had an option for me to get out on a hardship discharge. So I went ahead and took that and I got out in, uh, in or I put in for it and uh, I was granted that in February of 91. Uh, and I literally got out about one week before the uh, the activities in uh, Iraq and Kuwait ceased. So oh, wow. I uh, didn't didn't have to go over there uh, and was out of my base, like I say, in February. And of course, that was an awkward time because on the one hand, I was grateful. And yet on the other hand, you know, it was awkward because I knew a lot of my buddies that I had worked with were down there in, in Saudi Arabia ducking the Scud missiles every night. Of course, you know, I talked to a number of them after they came back. They all told me the same thing. Hey, don't feel bad. You didn't miss nothing. It was hot, miserable, you know, wearing the chem warfare suits, ducking Scuds every night. They said it, it was absolutely sucked. Be glad you missed it. So. <laughs> But uh, so anyway, uh, and when I had come home, uh, just so happened New Albany was testing. Shut so up. I could have been working with you again. Yeah. Yep. So I took the test in New Albany and uh, did fairly well on it. Had an interview and the interview sounded very promising. Do you and, remember who you uh, one of the Louisville interviewed with? I wish I could remember his name. He was an older chief officer. Very nice man. But I can't for the life of me think of his name. But there was a Louisville firefighter, you know, who I knew very well, who lived in New Albany, who knew a lot of people over there. And he'd even told me, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll you know, I'll throw your name in there. And uh, when I didn't hear anything for a while, I asked him, like, hey, what's, have you heard anything? And he goes, yeah, they got a hiring freeze. <laughs> He's like, uh, so don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, uh, so anyway, it was like, well, great. You know, and then shortly after that, I found out that Louisville had hired a class off of the list I was on. And originally I was told that I would have a real good shot of being interviewed for the next class. And then I was told, 
well, we're not going to do that. We're not going to run another class off this list. We're going to go ahead and kill this list, and you'll have to retest next year, uh, which was very devastating. They got a hard fucking test. Yes, they do. It was definitely the hardest of all yes. of them. Absolutely. No doubt about it. And uh, I was just proud that I passed yeah. it. <laughs> what was your time? Do you remember your time but, uh, on the uh, agility? I think it was like 920, which wasn't a bad time, but it wasn't a real competitive time. Uh, it probably didn't help that I'd had a bad cold for a couple days before that. So, But I think a lot of it, too, was about halfway into that test, I realized I needed to have done a better job of, of – um, uh, of prepping. Um, prepping. Well, no, I'd done a ton of prepping. Um, I think I just blew out all my. Go. All right. Not sure what happened. No, you. Uh, you were talking about hook and ladder, and then the screen just froze, and it was a good looking screen. It was all you. It was beautiful. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but it just froze up. Oh man. So you were saying you're on, um, uh, you're in the busiest uh, at the time, the busiest house, and then something about hook and yep. ladder is when it start getting choppy. Right. Yeah, I was I was at uh, Engine Twenty Eight, which was the busiest house in the city, and uh, I was assigned to Hook and Ladder Fifteen, which was the busiest ladder truck in the city. Which, even though it was still technically a quint, at that time we had the thirty engines that were all quints, and then we had four hook and ladder companies that were also quints but they were larger quints. And so they ran primarily as ladder trucks, but they could still operate as engines in a pinch. But with only four of them, it covered almost all of the fifth district and a huge chunk of the sixth district and even a little bit of the third district. So it was the busiest uh, ladder truck in the city and it went to the most fires. So we went, we went to fires just about every day. I mean, it was an absolute blast. <laughs> and and because the Quint engines ran the vast majority of all the alarm soundings and the other calls, I didn't go to a lot of the, you know, a lot of those. Uh, I mostly went to fires. It was an absolute blast. <laughs> uh, that was my first five years in the city, and I it was I had a great time. But um, so when did Uncle you know, Larry come Louisville. into all this? When did you meet Uncle Larry? I met Uncle Larry. Uh, he was the driver at Engine 8. He came on, I believe, the class after me. And um, when I met Larry, I actually had been on Hook and Ladder 15 just under five years. And um, I'd heard there was a couple of spots opening, going to be opening up on Engine 29, which is, you know, in my district. And they were housed with Rescue Squad 2. Well, I wanted to eventually get on Squad 2. I had done a lot of subbing on Squad 2, and that was a lot of fun. So that was that was my goal, my next, the direction I wanted to go. So I went and put in the request. Well, for whatever reason, the fire chief didn't send me to Engine 29. He sent me to Engine 8, which was still another one of his favorite firehouses. I was sent there on A shift. Larry was there on C shift. So I only did a short time there at Engine 8, but that's where I first got to know Larry. <laughs> you know, from changing shifts in the morning. And, and I tell you what, just listening to Larry in the morning was just nonstop uh, humor. I mean, his one-liners, <laughs> they're some of the best. <laughs> you know, he was just, he was always enjoyable to just sit and talk to. Oh, yeah. So I knew who he was, but that was the first time we'd ever really met, knew each other at all. 
and then um, where we really got to know each other a lot better. Uh, I had taught a help teach a recruit class in '95, and Larry had already done one or two, at least one or two recruit classes after that. And in 2000, after Chief Swetanics retired, uh, Chief George took over. You know, there was new staff down at the academy, and they were putting on a recruit class, and nobody was wanting to go down and volunteer to do it. And so I got a call from, at that time, the, the training officer was Captain Mike Richardson, who was the training officer when I taught my first recruit class. And he wanted people down there who he knew could do a good job and, uh, you know, could, could make it work in spite of the fact that there was definitely some friction as we were going through the the change of the guard down there. So um, he stopped just short of dragging me down there, kicking and screaming to, to help teach this recruit class because at the same time this was going on, a promotion test hang sheet had just come out and we had already gone through one testing nightmare where the tests got, the scoring got contested and the tests got thrown out. So I was uh, pretty angry about that. Uh, I was on, I had finally gotten my spot at squad two and I was really enjoying that. And I really wasn't wanting to go down to the academy and teach a class at that point, but they were needing instructors that had done classes before that Mike was wanting people that he could trust. So he had talked Larry into it and he talked me into it. And I went down to teach the recruit class. And uh, of course there were several other instructors, but Larry and I were the only two that had done it before. So he kind of made us the lead by default as far as running things. And so that was when I got to experience for the first time, Uncle Larry's Playhouse. Now it was still in its earlier stages. It wasn't as well refined as it was later, but I can't tell you how many mornings, you know, cause in the early weeks of the Academy, you know, you try to keep a very straight face and a kind of a somewhat of a tough demeanor with the recruits and, you know, not get, not get too close to them for, you know, at least till it looks like they're going to actually make it. There were days I had to literally walk out of the the main room in the uh, the training, you know, in the the tower, and into the next room just to bust out <laughs> laughing uh, because of the things, the one liners, and the comments that Larry was coming up with. So, uh, but uh, so Larry and I started talking, and we found out that even though our styles were very different, we we realized we had the the same goals and ideals when it came to training recruits. You know, he had been in the Navy, I'd been in the Air Force, so we had that military background, but we also both realized that we weren't just down there just to see who we could beat up on and get away with it. You know, it wasn't just to be a bully and, 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 uh, and we both had a real passion to teach and to train these recruits. Uh, we both took what we did very seriously, very personally, Neither one of us were very thrilled to be dragged down there at the same time a promotion test was going on because we both knew that that really stacked the deck against us, but we just chose to make the best of it. How did that it. stack the de deck against yeah. you? Well, to pass our promotional tests, and, and especially this, there was already a lot of controversy over this particular testing company, and that's a whole other story for another day. But uh, it was a pretty good stack of books and materials that we were going to have to study through uh, to even get, you know, a decent score on this test. And when you're down there doing the academy, you've got very little time to study. 
I mean, it is a very busy day. You're down there with the recruits most of the day. You know, you're there with them early in the morning, you know, 6.30, 7 in the morning. A lot of times you don't get out of there till 5, 5.15 and, you know, 5, 5.30 in the evening. And then you go home and try to cram in, study in, and, and, and plus trying to plan out the next day and, and what we're going to do with the recruits and trying to go through all the material to be on top of it for them. Uh, and then, of course, at that same time, I had uh, around that same time, I had started uh, dating my, uh, uh, you know, fiance. Well, I, uh, yeah, soon to be wife. So, of course, she's wanting me to spend time with her and I'm trying to spend time with her, do the recruits and study. And uh, it's difficult to pull off because to, to really do well in any of our promotional tests, you have to pretty much carve out for anywhere from four to six months, you know, six to eight hours a day to study. I mean, uh, it's, it's not, a, it's a very competitive process. It's not an easy process. And uh, I'd already been through it once. And this was a different, different test company, totally different test structure, probably about twice the number of books we had to go through. And uh, just a lot of work, a lot of work. And it was, and to do that and to give the recruits the training and the attention they needed, it was just impossible to totally to, to put the amount of effort and time into it that I knew I needed to get a really competitive score. And Larry and I both passed the test. We both got okay scores, but they weren't competitive scores. They were way down the list. And the fire chief at the time didn't like the testing company, didn't like that style of test didn't want to make any promotions. He was, uh, he was under a lot of pressure to make promotions. So I think he promoted about the top 25 or 30 people on the list and then had the list killed. So that meant Larry and I both were dying on that list. Jeez. What, for what rank so, was that? Were you, that was for captain. Uh, St. Louis doesn't have any rank between firefighter and captain we don't have a driver's position we don't have lieutenants so it's a big jump from firefighter to captain it's a huge pay raise mm -hmm. but uh that's and unfortunately that's that's a if a guy doesn't get that spot there's no place else for them to go right. as far as rank so you didn't make it on that list you had did you make it in the next one well I didn't make it on the next one because, again, we had a, a uh, another scandal. Uh, it studied very, very hard for that test. Uh, me and a couple other guys on the squad, we were studying very hard. And a, the day after we had taken the test, it was revealed to the news stations and everything that there had been some kind of a cheating scandal involving um, uh, certain groups of, of people who were taking the test. Uh, both union and non-union members. And so that immediately compromised the test. The city threw the test out, refused to grade it, said that was done, and we would have to start all over again. Gosh, what a struggle. Yes. Yes. Those were the those were the parts of joining the St. Louis Fire Department that I obviously couldn't have known about in right. advance. Had I known that uh, that the that there was so much trauma and, and difficulty in the promotional system, I might have rethought it. <laughs> so, I, 
I love the St. Louis Fire Department, but man, do we know how to be our own worst enemy about this? Like that. You know what? I can totally empathize with you on that one. 100%. Not to the, not at all to the level you you have to deal with, but I do understand about sometimes a membership can get in the way of itself. Yeah. So let me wrap up with this. One of the things that impresses me, one of the things I truly love about you is I doubt I could tell the difference between who you are now and who you were 38 years ago. You're still just as passionate about the fire service. You're again, I've seen, I've met you in classes. I've met you at uh, at conferences and you were just last week with Corley Moore, weren't you? And now, Mm -hmm. okay. Gun to your head, which is the best podcast Corley's or mine? Let me answer for you. Let me answer for you. It's Corley's. I love Corley Moore's podcast. <laughs> I just want to make you a little uncomfortable. Well, that's all. So um, my point I, in all this is that you you are just, you keep on trucking. You know, some people get to a certain part in their career where they try to coast. That's not you. you and you're always sending me articles, great articles, by the way. I mean, you're just as passionate. I, I can't imagine what a young Nick Morgan must have been like. If you're, if, um, if you've gotten increasingly passionate, I, I can understand, but man, you love the service. Well, the, the young Nick Morgan at least had uh, his his physical stature could keep up with his passion. <laughs> That's the only problem with old Nick no, Morgan. No. Old Nick Morgan's body won't won't do what young Nick Morgan's body could do. But yeah, young Nick Morgan got got uh, lovingly told on more than one occasion, "Slow down, kid. You're going to get yourself killed." <laughs> Slow down, kid. Remember, not everybody is as passionate about this job as you are. How did you you maintain that passion, though? Did you have some dips in your career where you're like, ah, fuck it? Or have you always been this way? Okay, so what what made you have those dips besides the testing? I'd say the testing probably had to. Um, The the testing was a huge blow. The testing was very, very painful. Um, That was was a huge one to overcome. the other big dip was when we had line of duty deaths in 2002. Uh, Rob Morrison and Derek Martin, you know, were killed at the Gravoy Refrigeration Company fire. They were on Squad One. I was on Squad Two that night. We came to that fire on a third alarm. It was an absolute nightmare. And uh, I knew both of those guys. I had worked with them many times. You know, uh, they weren't best friends, but they were both friends. They were colleagues that I respected. I knew they were good guys. You know, it was absolutely just mystifying to me how those two guys, you know, could end up getting killed in that little shit show of a fire. But that's, a, you know, again, that's another long story for another day. But that was a major blow. Um, and so, yeah, I, I've had my world rocked a few times. And uh, I would say it's a combination of things that's helped kept my passion. Um, for Part of it was my faith. You know, I absolutely believe that this was the path that God laid out for me as far as being a firefighter. Uh, truly do believe it was my calling. Um, uh, I've been, uh, how is this? I've been in a 12-step program for a lot of years uh, to, uh, for, to be sober from alcoholism. That's something I struggled with, uh, especially in my Air Force time runs rampant in my family. A lot of support from uh, friends in those in that program, you know, that helped me get my head screwed back on straight uh, when I get all out of whack. Um, I took that little detour out at the airport in uh, the summer of 2005. 
um, because I was ready to leave. I was, I was very broken. Uh, I was ready to leave the department. And the only reason I didn't, in fact, I had a job offer out at Worthington when they first uh, were putting on career people. I was told, you know, the process I needed to go through if I wanted to have a good shot at a job out there. And of course, at that time, my oldest son was a baby. My wife wasn't too hot on, she's from St. Louis, so she wasn't too hot on the idea of moving to Louisville. And uh, she pretty much told me, well, you can do that if you want, but I'm not going with you. (laughs) And uh, being the child of divorce myself, I'm like, yeah, okay, I can't do that to my kid. You know, I just cannot do that. So I made the decision to stay put. I had had a lot of supports in place. I had a lot of people that, that just helped me through that period, the being out at the airport for a few years gave me just a chance to kind of reboot emotionally and spiritually and uh, physically and mentally. And, 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 you know, and that's, then we had my kids and, and uh, you know, I realized that, so it was just a lot of things like that all kind of came together. I uh, started attending, you know, I hadn't been to conferences in a long time. And while I was out at the airport, me and another firefighter who had become good friends, we started attending FDIC and, and, uh, that just kind of helped reignite that passion and, uh, kick, kick me back in gear. And then, then I found out we had, uh, you know, the lawsuits that were over the promotion test that I had finally, uh, made it on that we had won the lawsuits and that the promotions were going to go forward. And so the current fire chief, you know, once he took over, once the previous chief had retired, he started making promotions. So I was still a little ways down the list, but I knew it was a pretty good shot. He was going to get to me. And that was my ticket back into the city. And, uh, that allowed me to, um, uh, kind of start over in, in some new ways, uh, you know, to kind of pick up where I left over, but also kind of start over doing something, something new. And, and then I'm fortunate that of my kids, my oldest, uh, who's about to turn 20 is following in my footsteps. He's very passionate about fire service. Nice. So sometimes just having him around has been a good reminder when I guess when I get focused in on all the negative and I only see what's wrong and this is screwed up and blah, blah, blah. Uh, he, he's a good, he, he kind of helps me with his passion. Remember what it is. I love so much about the fire service and the role that the fire service has played in my life. And then that along with just opportunity, you know, I started, I got my instructor certification while I was at the air force. I mean, I'm sorry, while I was at the airport that allowed me to start teaching more than just our academy. I started teaching out the County Academy. I did some classroom teaching for for a retired county fire chief that ran his own company for a while. And I found that I really did enjoy teaching. I really enjoyed making that difference. And so other opportunities have opened up and it's just a lot of little stuff like that. And then just and then whether it's going to FDIC or this year going to the conference at the lake, which first time I'd been, you know, when I'm, when I'm feeling dragged down, there's nothing like getting around a bunch of, brothers in the fire service that are passionate that lights me back up absolutely so uh absolutely that's that's the key that's a huge part so for me that's like what fills my tank is a new recruit class you know when i get to teach that and then uh teaching or and or going to conferences 
because uh, being around that kind of because the people that where I go around and teach the people that come to my classes through the ISFSI, they're one percenters. So I mean, like you, exactly, perfect example. Like you in uh, we're in Kirkwood, we're in St. Louis or Kirkwood. Is that the same thing? I forget now. Um, Some of yeah, the basement, basement fire, fire class. class. We were at the County Academy, which is in. Um, I can't think of the name of the town, but it's right on the far western. It's right as you leave the western edge of the city. So we were right outside of the city right. limits. Well, all those people were great go-getters. That's where I got to meet Uncle Larry for the first time. Um, but that right. really brings me out of my funk because it's easy to get in a funk in your own department. It's easy to sit there and see the negative yes. and not the positive. Uh, and some are worse, yes. uh, you know. But, yeah, yeah, no, that's great. And I should have. And I should have included Larry as part of that because when I came back into the city, uh, it wasn't long after I came back after making captain that uh, Larry and a captain from out in uh, Eureka Fire Department uh, at that time, he's now a chief in one of the other county departments, but uh, Phil Goody, they started a fire one and two program with the local community college. And I got invited to participate in that and become one of the instructors. And so there were, there were a number of times where I had just good heart-to-heart -heart conversations with Larry, and uh, he helped me, you know, get through all my negati negativity and, uh, and reminded me, you know, as I needed to be reminded many times, to focus on the positive, focus on what's good, stop, stop looking at and focus on everything that's wrong. You know, it's like, can't control all of that. All I can do is try to make things a little bit better. So, you know, people like Larry that have been in my path, you know, have, have all been uh, part of that, that group that I needed to help keep me from going off the rails when, you know, when, when the anger and the frustration and the negativity want to take right. over. Brother, I appreciate you being on my the, show. You're an absolute inspiration. Please stay in contact like you have. Send me these articles uh, because when they're really good articles, I show other people and pretend like I found them. I don't give you credit at all. Uh, so it makes me look good. Uh, <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. But brother, I tell you what, uh I don't have any I don't have any original ideas. I just look for the I just dig for the gold and when I find it I yes. share it. Keep 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 them coming, brother. Uh but no, you you're you're a big inspiration and I'm tickled to death that I got to meet you in person a couple times now and I'm really really happy that you were on my show. Thank you so much, brother. Well, thank you so much and it's really an honor to be to be able to be asked to be on your show. Uh, it, it really is an honor. So thank you thank so you. much. That was really nice. I appreciate it, brother. Stay safe. All right, brother. You too. Today's podcast was sponsored by Fire Facilities, designers and manufacturers of realistic, built-to-last training structures and mobile units for 30 years. Make training count. Visit firefacilities.com for more information. Today's podcast was sponsored by Fire Facilities, designers and manufacturers of realistic, built-to-last training structures and mobile units for 30 years. Make training count. Visit firefacilities.com for more information.